Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, February 23rd, 2020, we continue our series titled, Live Different, The Sermon on the Mount. Today's sermon, The Heart of the Matter, Love, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Enjoy. Last three weeks, we've kind of been inside of this mini-series within a series. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, um, found in Matthew chapter 5. But within Matthew chapter 5, we find this little mini-thing where Jesus makes six different statements where he says, you have heard it said, or this is the tradition of the Jews, the things that they've understood. But then Jesus says, but I say to you. So what we've seen, this is the sixth time now this morning, tradition, you have heard it said, but then teaching, but I say unto you. Um, so this morning, we're going to close out that little mini-series. So far, if you back up and you look all the way to um, chapter 5, verse 21, we've seen this tradition. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But we saw Jesus nail down and get to the heart of the matter on that one. In verse 27, they had heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. This was um, their tradition. And then Jesus kind of nails down and focuses in even more on the heart. In verse 31, it was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But again, Jesus nails down and dials it in even more on that one. Verse 33 says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. We get to verse 38. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And then this morning we get to our final tradition verse teaching statement where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So again, Matthew chapter five, if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to open it up if you haven't already. Maybe you um, use your app, go ahead and type to Matthew chapter five. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back around you. I'd encourage you, open that up. Um, If you don't own one, steal that one, bring it home, read it, do what it says. I promise you it will change your life. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 43, says this, you have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Let me pray for us. God, though it's my voice that's been heard, we know it's your word that's been spoken. And this morning we recognize your word as authoritative. God, this morning would we turn away from our traditions, um, the traditions of our life, and turn towards the teachings of our Lord that we see this morning in Matthew chapter five, verses 43 through 48. God, would you help us understand the things that we see in your scriptures today, but not just understand them and not just know them, but God, we ask that you give us the confidence to go and do the things that we see in your word this morning. God, would everything we say and do be done for your glory and your glory alone. We ask all these things in the wonderful name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You'll see three different points Um, in your sermon this morning, each of them starting with T, because why not? The first one is the tradition of the Jews. The tradition of the Jews. This is what we followed over the course of the last three weeks. Jesus shows tradition and then corrects tradition with right teaching. 
In Matthew 45, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, again, he's going to follow the same exact formula that we've seen him follow in the past. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, it's a two-part teaching, but the two-part teaching is also two-part wrong. Okay, because some of this sounds like Christianity and some of it does not sound like Christianity. Love your neighbor, like that sounds right. That kind of sounds like something that's in the Bible. Um, Hate your enemy, does not really sound like that's in the Bible, but sounds like something I'd like to do. Right, doesn't that kind of, you're like, yeah, love my neighbor, that's easy, hate my enemy, yeah, let's get him, right? Like that's that's our heart, that's like our natural disposition. We don't need to be instructed to hate. We hate on our own. Like how many of you had to teach your kids to say they hate something? Did you have to teach your kids to do that? You didn't, did you? They've got that covered on their own. What we have to do is teach them to love. Hatred is already in their heart, but love, that's what God calls us to. So as I said, it's a two-part teaching, but it's a two-part teaching that's two-part wrong. See, when it comes to their love, they forget out, they forget and leave out a crucial Detail, the Old Testament does talk about love and it does talk about how they should love their neighbor. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 through 18, up on the screen it says this. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Okay, that sounds like the right teaching, we get that. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Notice how he uses brother and neighbor synonymously. He's gonna use a couple terms to mean the same exact thing. Lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Again, sons of your own people, neighbor, brother, we're talking about the same groups of people. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own neighbor, but you shall love your neighbor, how? As yourself. I am the Lord. See, they had a two-part teaching, but it was two-part wrong. They said you should love your neighbor but their love lacked the quality in which God had previously instructed them. God said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor how you love yourselves. And we do love ourselves, don't we? Right? When we talk about church life and how to be a healthy church member, it means to have time, talents, and treasure, right? To give of your time for the benefit of the body. To give of your, your talent for the good and for the benefit of those around you. To give of your treasure, your, your money, your finances, the things that you own for the benefit of other people. When we look at those three T's, time, talents, treasure, I spend the vast majority of my time on myself. Why? Because I do love myself. If I have a free moment, I'd like to fill it with golf or working out if I have the opportunity. My talent, I like to use my talent for myself. Most of us have talents that are somehow aligned with our job and you use that for yourself and for your own benefit because we do love ourselves. We talk about our treasure, the things that we own, the money that we make. The vast majority of our money gets spent on who? Us and our family. Right, so when he says, love your neighbor as yourself in the same way that you love yourself, that's the same exact way you should love other people. It's kind of the golden rule of love, right? We talk about treat others as you would like to be treated. The golden rule of love would be love others how you would like to be loved. That's what the scriptures have taught. Their tradition is getting it wrong. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor, but Jesus says you should love your neighbor as 
yourself. Matthew chapter two, verses 37 through 40, um, a Pharisee who was also a lawyer comes and asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in all of the law? What's the greatest commandment in all of the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Well, how should I love God? What's the quality of love in which I should love my God? I should love my God with all my heart. I shouldn't just kind of like him or kind of love him. I should love him with everything in my heart. I should love him with all of my soul. I should love him with all of my mind. I should love God with everything I have to offer. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor, how? As yourself. See, there's a quality in which the type of love God demands from us. It's not just this kind of love, kind of like, kind of get along with. How should I love God with everything I have? How should I love my neighbor? You should love your neighbor how you would like to be loved. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And I love how he says that on these two commandments hang all of the law and all of the prophets. Let's look at, look at the 10 commandments for a second. The relational pieces of how we are meant to treat each other. If I'm focused on loving my neighbor as I love myself, I will honor my neighbor. Why? Because I want my neighbor to honor me. I won't kill my neighbor. Why? Well, I don't want my neighbor to kill me. I won't commit adultery with my neighbor. Why? Because I don't want my neighbor to commit adultery with me. I won't steal my neighbor's stuff. Why? Do you get the picture? Because my neighbor's stuff isn't that cool. <laughs> no, it's because I don't want my neighbor to do that to me. If I'm focused on loving other people the way I would like to be loved, then everything falls into place. If I'm focused on loving God with everything that I have, then everything falls into place. Their two-part teaching was two-part wrong. Their love lacked the quality their love was meant to have. They loved their neighbor, but not as their self. Then there's the second piece. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, where does that even come from? Okay, because you can scour the Bible and look for, where does God tell me to hate my enemy? It's not in there. Not there. So they're just making this stuff up, or where does the instruction to hate my enemy come from? Well, essentially, it comes from bad interpretation and bad application. See, because what they did, they looked through the Old Testament and found passages about the hatred of God and said, because God hates things like this, therefore I should hate these things too. And there's passages even where it talks about God hating evil doers, not just hating evil itself. Psalm chapter five, verses four through six, it says this, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Not just evil. It says he hates evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors that he hates the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. Now I thought God is love. God is love. God is also just. God is love. God is also just. I thought about it this this week in regard to my own kids. I love my kids with everything. 
Sometimes I have to punish my kids. I love my kids. Dad is love. Dad is also just. And when there's evil things that have to be dealt with, dad will deal with the evil things, just like God will deal with the evil things. But there's things that God can do that you and I cannot and should not try to do. Um, God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God knows all things. God is everywhere. God is all-powerful. Now, I'm told in the scriptures, Ephesians chapter five, be imitators of God. There's some things that God can do that I cannot or should not try to do. I cannot be all-powerful. I just can't. I will never be all-powerful. Even though I try, I will never be all-powerful. God is all-knowing. I will never be all-knowing. I will do my best to understand everything I can inside of this book, but even in this book, God tells me, hey, there's things you will not understand, so I have to accept the fact I will not know everything. I can't be everywhere. There's things that God can do that you and I cannot or should not even try to do. Hating evildoers is one of those things. Nowhere in the scriptures are we told to hate anyone. Yet this was the tradition they had developed. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Their tradition was flawed, so Jesus fixes it. The second thing we see in our passage, the teaching of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus, verses 44 through 47. Verse, 40, verse 44 says this, but I say to you, remember we're gonna follow the same exact format that we've seen throughout our entire time together in this little mini-series part. You have heard it said, but I say to you, love your enemies. What? What? Love my neighbors, I get. All right, and by the way, when it comes to this Jewish audience, the way they defined neighbor and enemy, um, neighbor is those who are Jews and enemy is anyone who's not Jewish. Okay, for you and I, we might define neighbor as um, the people I have everything in common with, the people who like me, the people who love me. Not even your actual neighbor, like the people who live around us because we don't talk to them, right? Their enemy was anyone they didn't like, anyone they didn't get along with, anyone who believed something different than them, anyone who was different they deemed enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Three things we're gonna touch on real quick. The first, he says, love your enemies. Now, I wanna go back to loving our neighbors for just a second because the Bible talks about, again, he even gives us some examples, some illustrations of how we are meant to love. I'd love to compare the two. If the Old Testament tells me to, to treat my neighbors this way, surely the Old Testament tells me to treat my neighbors in a different way. So let's compare and contrast um, the two exact same situations real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses one through four, up on the screen, it says this, you shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. Now, nowadays, if you saw your brother's sheep or his ox going astray, you could not ignore them because you'd be like, why does my brother have a sheep or an ox, right? Like it would be, unless you live in Carefree or Cave Creek and you have sheep and oxen and stuff like that. You shall take them back to your brother. Think of this as a lost dog. If your brother loses their dog and you see your brother's dog, what do you do? You bring your brother's dog back to them. 
And if he does not live near you or you do not know who he is, you'll bring it home to your house. Assume care for this thing that's not even yours. And it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Who knows how long that's going to be? Just however long until they realize their sheep or their oxen or their dog is gone. You keep it and assume control and care for that animal. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. If your friend leaves behind their iPhone, grab it and return their iPhone. If you go to the gym together and um, your friend leaves behind their Lulu jacket, grab the Lulu jacket and return it to them. Like this is super practical. Like this is what we do, right? If my friend lost something, I would grab it and return it to them. This is kind of common sense. Why? Because this is the way that I want people to love me. If I leave something behind, I want someone to pick it up and return it to me. If I lose something and my dog goes missing and I don't even know uh, sweet pepper glitter sparkles is missing, then I would hope and pray that someone who's my friend or my neighbor would pick up sweet pepper glitter sparkles and return her to us. That's the way I want to be loved. Therefore, that's the way that I love my neighbor. And surely, surely, God would tell me to treat my enemy differently, wouldn't he? Exodus chapter three, verses four and five, the same exact situation presents itself. If you meet your enemy's, okay, wait a minute. If I meet my enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, it's stuck and left to die. You shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. So if my neighbor loses something, if my friend loses something, if my brother loses something, it's my job to assume care and control of that until I can find them again to give it back to them. If my enemy loses something, if my enemy loses their cell phone, their Lulus, their dog, their ox, their sheep, whatever it might be, what does God call me to do? The same exact thing he calls me to do with my neighbor. He makes no distinction. I am to love my neighbor and I am to love even the one who hates me. Proverbs 25 verses 21 through 22 says this, if your enemy is hungry, then leave him to die. Give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head. It's kind of that whole kill him with kindness type of attitude, right? And the Lord will reward you. If my enemy's hungry, give him food. If my enemy's thirsty, give him something to drink. There's no distinction in how I should treat my neighbor or my enemy. I'm to love them the same. Take your Bibles real quick. Go to Luke chapter 10. There's a story um, where Jesus tells called the Good Samaritan. I'm sure you've, um, if you've been in the church or grew up in the church, you've probably heard the story before, but again, a lawyer stands up to put Jesus to the test and he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. How do I inherit eternal life? Do everything like this, do it perfectly. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you'll live. But this lawyer desiring to justify himself, where in verse 29, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
Right? Like, let's really figure this out. If that's what I gotta do, if I gotta love my neighbor as myself, love God with everything and love my neighbor as myself, then who's my neighbor? Because I'm gonna try to do this the way that you've asked me to do it. And Jesus, of course, responds with a parable. It's teaching through a story. Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going up from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Man's going to do some business, gets mugged, beat up, left for dead, take all of his stuff. Three separate people come by. Now by chance, random opportunity, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. You think it'd be the priest who would have helped the guy who had been beaten and left for dead. So likewise, a Levite, someone who comes from a priestly line, when he came to the place and saw him, surely this is gonna be the guy to step up, right? Like a nice Jewish guy. He's gonna help the person who had been beat up and mugged. He passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and the Samaritans are enemies of the Jews. It's funny. Jesus uses an enemy of the Jews to prove a point. This is how you should treat people. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, that's two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, Jesus asks them a question. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, proved to be a neighbor? Now, I love the way Jesus has done this because the question was, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about who is my neighbor. We're talking about how to be a neighbor. Who proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. See, the question we'd like to ask is, who is my neighbor? But the response Jesus gives says, it's not about that. You go be a neighbor. It's not about picking and choosing who's my, who's my neighbor, who's my enemy. It's just about being who God has called us to be and who God has called us to be is neighbors. I watched uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, that uh, wonderful neighborhood new movie that came out, whatever it's called. Um, I grew up on Mr. Rogers. Anyone else grew up on Mr. Rogers? Right, so I, I loved it. Um, and, and what I realized about Fred Rogers, who was a believer, by the way, he prayed every day for people by name. Um, he was an incredible, incredible man. In the beginning of the episode, it always started with this song. And the song said, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty, right? You know the song. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? See, what Mr. Rogers had figured out, this is not so much about who is actually your neighbor. What's about is the desire of your heart of trying to be a neighbor towards other people. Who's my neighbor? Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. What you need to ask is, how should I be a neighbor? And the way he illustrates it, it's just the one who drops everything to care for those, even those who might be an enemy. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, as he's the, Jesus is the perfect model for this. As Jesus is being crucified, what does he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even as Jesus was dying, 
Even as they cast lots and gambled for his garments, Jesus looked down and prayed for his persecutors. How could he possibly do this? Well, it comes from a heart attitude and a posture of wanting the best for other people. Even if it comes to mean your own harm. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So that you will show yourself to be a father of your child of the heavenly father. You would prove yourself to be a chip off the old block. You'd prove yourself to be a child of the most high God. The second part of verse 45, Jesus gives us the example of the father. He says, for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good. He makes the son rise on his friends and his enemies. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He sends rain on his enemies and his neighbors. Right, like when it, when it rained on Saturday, it didn't just rain on non-believers. It rained on everybody. Right, it's not like Christians get to walk around with bright sunshine and non-believers walk around in darkness. It doesn't work like that. It's called common grace. God loves and gives grace to everyone in some kind of way, just like you and I are meant to do that as well. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And I love how Jesus uses the enemies of the Jews to illustrate yet another point. If you love those who love you, this tax collectors do that. That's, that's, not, that's just normal. And if you greet only your brothers, even the Gentiles do the same. And I love verse 37. He says this, what more are you doing than others? See, there is a requirement for believers. Jesus does call us to more. My desire is for minimum and my desire is just to match what everyone else is doing. What Christ calls me is to more. What more are you doing than others? What more are you doing than those who hate you? What more are you doing than the world? Romans chapter 12, verse two, we've got it up on the screen. It says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This type of love, this loving my, and my neighbors as myself and this loving my enemies, it sounds so different and that's the point. Christ has called us to live different. We're not meant to be the same. We're not meant to look the same. We're meant to live differently than the world. You've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We're gonna return to verse 48 in just a moment, but for now, let's go to point three, takeaways for our life. What do we do with what Jesus has told us? What are the commands Jesus gives us just in this passage? The first is this, love your neighbor and your enemies. Love your neighbor and your enemies. I could never love my enemy. How could I do such a thing? Romans 5.10 says at one point you were an enemy of Christ. At one point you and I were enemies of God. Did he not love you and did he not love me? Of course we're capable of it. We're capable of loving anyone that God puts in our path. 1 Corinthians 13, I love this passage for weddings. I honestly don't like this passage for my enemies. 
Yet still, this is the type of love that Christ calls us to because love is an action. It's not just this feeling. 1 Corinthians 13, verses four through eight, love is patient and kind even towards my enemies. Love does not envy or boast toward my enemies. Love is not arrogant towards my enemies. Love is not rude towards my enemies. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Real love does not resent my enemies, does not rejoice at wrongdoing because that's what's in our heart, right? When one of our enemies gets what they had coming, part of you is like, ha, justice. We want to rejoice in that, but, but, but God says don't rejoice in that. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. Love my neighbor as myself. Also love my enemies and praise for those who persecute me. This is the type of love God has called me to. Second thing Christ calls us to, he says, pray for your persecutors. Pray for your persecutors. We know that Jesus modeled this. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There's another model in Acts chapter seven, verse 60. There's a disciple named Stephen. Stephen's under trial and shares the gospel to a Jewish audience. He loved them enough to do it and because he did it, they stoned him. They killed him. He's who we know to be the first Christian martyr. Acts seven, verse 60 says this, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, he prays. Do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The last words on his lips, prayers for a supposed enemy. Now, Stephen is a, a pretty special guy, but when you compare him to us, he's not all that different. He loved Jesus, gave his life to Jesus, trusted Jesus, and because of that was filled with the Holy Spirit. Just as you and I, if we love Jesus, trust Jesus, you also and me also, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ. John 15 verse five says, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Which to me says, if I'm in Christ and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, then I have the power to pray for those who even hate me. We are to pray for our persecutors. Third and finally, pursue perfection. Pursue perfection. Verse 48 says this, you therefore must be perfect. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Rewind to the beginning of this discussion that Jesus had with the the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jews because he makes the statement, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the most righteous people that you know, the scribes and the Pharisees, then you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus turns it up. Jesus says the standard to enter the kingdom of God is perfection. 100% perfection. But as I read through the Sermon on the Mount, this is impossible. How do, I, how do I do any of this? Jesus says my anger condemns me. Jesus says my insults of other people condemn me. Jesus says my lust condemns me. Jesus says my lies condemn me. Jesus says my desire for revenge condemns me. Jesus says my lack of love for my enemy condemns me. It's impossible for me to accomplish. 
So if perfectly living out the Sermon on the Mount is what makes me a Christian, I will never be a Christian. If living out this teaching perfectly is what makes me a Christian, I will never be a Christian. In the words of Pastor John MacArthur, he put it like this, a Christian is not a person who keeps the Sermon on the Mount. A Christian is someone who knows they can't. See, my perfection is not gonna come from perfectly keeping all of these standards, perfectly keeping all of these commands. My perfection is gonna come from turning over to Jesus who lived the perfect life I couldn't live, who died the death I deserve to die, and because of that, his perfection is now my perfection. His holiness is now my holiness. I have no holiness of my own. It only comes through Christ. Hebrews 10, 14 says this, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He also tells me that he has made me perfect in him. Friends, the standard has been laid out for us. You have heard it said, but I say unto you, we all have our own traditions that we live up to, but Jesus turns it up and says, it's not about your tradition, it's about the teachings of the Lord. And this is the requirement to get in, perfection. Apart from Christ, none of us can do it. In just a moment, we're gonna take communion, so I'd invite those who are serving us to begin serving communion. Communion is an opportunity for us to remember and for us to celebrate what Christ has done for us. That he took what was dead, you and I, dead in our sin, and he made us alive in Christ that he took what was unrighteous and he made it righteous, that he took what was imperfect and he made it perfect. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been trying to live the Sermon on the Mount to the best of your ability because you believe if you do everything the right way, then you too can be a Christian. Let me encourage you this morning, it's not about that. Christ has done everything the right way on your behalf. All you need to do is trust him. Let me pray for us and then we'll take communion. God, this is uh, a, a tall order for us. God, it's easy for us to love the people who love us. It's very difficult for us to love the people who hate us. But Jesus, you modeled it perfectly. You perfectly modeled love for us. Now God, would we embrace that example and love people the way that you've loved us. God, would we love our neighbors as ourselves? Would we love our enemies like you first loved us? God, may we reflect now and rejoice in the perfect gift of your son Jesus and come back in just a moment to celebrate once more together. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he was enjoying a meal with his disciples and during the meal he stopped. He took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body broken for you Would you do this in remembrance of me? Just do me a favor and stand. In the same way, he took a cup and he said, this cup represents my blood poured out for you Would you do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me? 
Jesus, you're so good to us. You're too good to us. God, this morning we remember your sacrifice. We remember your resurrection. God, we also remember your love. A love which you modeled to us and for us so perfectly with your son that he would come and pay the penalty for a penalty that we deserve to pay. God, this morning we come to you and give you our worship, we give you our praise. We give you all the glory, the honor for everything we've said and done in this place. And all God's people said. We serve a good and loving God, don't we? As we enter the mission fields of our lives this morning and this week, would we not leave the words of Jesus behind? Would we love our neighbors? Would we love our enemies? Would we pray for those who persecute us? And in the words of Mr. Rogers, won't we be, won't we be, oh please won't we be a neighbor. God bless you guys, we love you, bye.